0: Thanks so much, everyone, for being here. Uh, this is Means of Creation. It's a conversation that we have every week with someone who's really fascinating, just working in kind of the world of content creators and platforms that facilitate that content creation and, and the technologies and the businesses that are sustaining it. And uh, so we're just incredibly excited to have Sam here today. Sam and I go way back. I remember when I pitched you and you called me a hipster and you said I wasn't focused on building a business. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Which my was gosh. true. Was this you for saw into my bound? soul. Yeah, this is for hardbound. <laughs> um, well, I wasn't. Was I no, wrong? No, you were correct. You were a hundred percent correct. You saw into my soul, like I said. And honestly, probably still are correct in a lot of ways. But it was a lot of fun, and, and I really enjoyed that conversation that we had, just like as a one-off, like whatever startup founder pitching an investor. And then I've just been such a fan of of your work ever since. So Sam, for people who don't know, led the product group at Facebook called what is it? People, places, and things. PPT, All the nouns, right? Yeah, I held the noun. And did that for a really critical period of time in Facebook. That was from before Facebook was public and then through a couple of years after the IPO. Yep.
1: yep so, exactly. a,
0: a really fascinating time in Facebook's history. Sam is uh, the general partner at Slow Ventures, which invests in a lot of amazing companies, I think including Clubhouse, right? Yeah, we're tiny investors in Clubhouse. Right. Uh, me too. Me yeah. too. <laughs> got 5k in and that's like my one and only angel investment so i've got a decent track record so far and and also the the co-founder and ceo of finn which basically is does time and motion studies of for organizations like optimizing if people are doing frontline work where is it like mostly customer support or what are the kind of key things we may want to measure
1: yeah here's the the quick thing on finn is again one of the parts of my career i usually jump over is actually started my my career at banning company optimizing like factory lines and stuff like that it was pretty fun. And that's interesting. If you look at the physical world of manufacturing, everything's so instrumented and optimized, it's pretty interesting. And then you flip around and look at like how knowledge workers do things. And it's shockingly uninstrumented, right? Like you're like, well, yeah. where did my day go? Where does time going? So we basically built a it's basically a new relic for people where we basically instrument second by second exactly what people are doing across applications to complete work. And then we use that to basically figure out how to optimize effectively process and tools and people for customer service and back office and things like that. I just, I really believe that you can't optimize what you haven't measured properly. And it's yeah. human knowledge work is still shockingly unmeasured. So that's what we've been doing is me and Andrew Cortina, who is the founder of Venmo. have been working on that for a while as
0: well. Fascinating. I love it. So we've got that. And then also we've got the thing that I'm probably the biggest fan of yours for is your columns in the information. Okay. And I'm curious here, maybe as a jumping off point, not a lot of tech founders and CEOs really like think of their work like a column. I think there's a lot of people who write every once in a while, like they publish on media maybe, or they tweet. But I think you know, the information provides this platform that's a really different kind of platform. And I, I think for your writing, and I'm curious, just like as a jumping off point, like how did you end up, what's the story behind Modest Proposals? And what has it been like over the years writing a regular column for the new version of a newspaper?
1: Oh, yeah. So I think I, many years ago, just Got, came to the conclusion that like writing was very important discipline. I think it's really easy to like deceive yourself about your own ideas or thoughts later. Ah, that's how I was thinking about this or whatever. Yeah. I also find that like writing is like in conversations, it's very easy to get yada yada and skip over points or not really think through your points. We're like, you actually have to write it down and put it in front of people there's like a certain level, I need to actually think this through. So I started a long time writing for myself. And like many people, I started writing a blog. This is probably in 2005. And then interestingly, in about 2008, I actually hilariously, given where the world has now gone, started a thing called Letterly. And Letterly was... <laughs> I remember this. Remember Letterly? <laughs> yeah. Well, of...
0: I remember being early at Substack and, and somebody was like, hey, there was a thing that was like this. Yeah. So I started thinking it like, with proto. it was like proto-Substack, right? Like...
1: It was a paywall in front of an email newsletter service. And we had a few hundred people writing. on it. actually did really well. I had a few hundred. We were doing like millions of dollars in top line. But like I basically started writing letterlies, which mine was called Modest Proposals. Um, oh. like, joke being that like they really weren't that modest. That's the joke of Modest Proposals is they're really not modest at
0: all. Connected to the original... Modest this proposal. Yeah, exactly.
1: One of the greatest pieces of writing ever. And so I was doing that for a while. When I went to Facebook, I did stop writing because I just was like, honestly, too busy. And also, like, when you work at a place like Facebook, it's pretty hard to have like honest public opinions. Not that people don't have good thoughts and people there are awesome. It's just, it's like too high stakes in a lot of ways. But when I left Facebook, I went back to writing. My wife at that time was just starting information. And so I wanted, she basically let me take that as <coughs> an Like I was the only one who wasn't a serious journalist writing serious news. I got to write my opinion column once a week or or so. And so I've kept that up and it's been really fun. I really enjoy writing. I really believe in it. So that's the kind of the short story.
2: Yeah, it's really good. There's been so many cases over the last few months where I'll send one of your columns to Nathan and I'll be like, we need to get Sam on the show and -hmm. talk about this. I have so many thoughts about this. And now you're finally here. And I think it's probably been Like ever since week two of the show, where I first did that. And so I'm glad we were able to make this happen. And maybe to kick it off, I'd love to talk about your most recent column. I think it just came out today. It's about Clubhouse and the movement towards cult driven social platforms rather than community driven social platforms. And actually, I'd love to just have you first maybe start by summarizing the piece for those in the audience who maybe have been haven't read it yet or aren't subscribed haven't been
0: indoctrinated yet maybe yeah the, haven't drank the cooling yet. <laughs> right.
1: yeah fair enough so look i think yeah obviously i've followed social networking from the earliest days and both working at facebook and helping venmo in the early days and things like that i think the thing that i think if you've been around since the beginning of the internet there's been this shift where like early on in the internet there was this like very strong community vibe and let me define what i mean by community a community is a place where you go somewhere and you're really interested in what every other person in the space has to say. Like you want to hear their stories and their thoughts and like, thinking know why that was, it was because like, look, there weren't that many people on the internet. It was pretty hard to find affinity groups. Like it wasn't like everything was super open. So if you found your way to like your community, and you're really into like cats and knitting or whatever. You're like, whoa, it's amazing. There are like other people who also like cats and knitting. And like, I wonder what they have to say. It was like a very magical experience. I also think like for cultural reasons, as well as the fact that there just wasn't enough content. The whole role of moderating, if you think about like I started the space, it's like people have this like very hands-off approach. Like you did have moderators, but they were like really leaned back. Maybe they like, like policed extreme cases. But I think what's happened in the broad sweep of history is like being controlling digital spaces has gotten really high value, like in the practical real world. Like it's high prestige, but it's also like you make a lot of money doing it. There's all these pressures that like drive it up. There are now tons of people on the internet right everyone's competing for attention all of a sudden because of that it's no longer super magical to find people likely because they're just like everyone's on the internet and there's just a huge lot of pressure and i think what's happened is under our noses is like there's been this switch from what i call like community spaces into like cults and it, what cults in my mind are like you're not actually there for the other people you're there for the leader whoever's in charge and like what I think has been super cool, I think what Clubhouse is like an incredible example of this. Like it's an awesome cult platform. It has all the hallmarks of what a cult looks like. There's yeah. a stage of leaders. Like we're the leaders right now, I and mean, like people listening. And there's this cool, it's very powerful, like social capital exchange. Instead of being like a backgrounded moderator, you guys are like the moderators, writers and you get to choose who gets on stage and who gets to speak and like everyone in the room can be listening and want to be there but it's like a big deal to get called on maybe and so there's this, it's, it's almost like a church or like a synagogue totally
0: dynamic. and then like a front row and we all know the people that had the front row seats front row at church seat, like every like, sunday like, or whatever <laughs> like it's right and like and then there's like yeah. you know being like, this whole dynamics around being blessed and promoted and then there's actual
1: real value in that someone gets on stage and says something like, super smart and they get a bunch of followers like they can build their own cult. And so there's all this formality of like leadership and following and social capital exchange in the context of, of rooms. And I just, again, even if you look at, in the last few weeks, like Chamath and Elon, who are like, clearly cult leaders, let's be really yeah. honest, like, that's like, what they do, like between platforms. I just think there's this like systemic shift going on, which is understandable and rational. Like, I don't think there's anything like nefarious about it. It's just happening. And I think clubhouse has a bunch of really interesting social, even like, how you guys do repeated events, and ritual. Like rituals, are a really big part of cult. So you just totally. see this shift from community to cult that I think is super interesting. Yeah, was-
2: the, the part of this that I want to dig into is whether this is new on the internet or not, because I was reflecting back on some of like the early social networking platforms and the early blogging platforms. And although they weren't designed so explicitly yeah. with this like follower leader dynamic in mind, they still did have culty di- dynamics to them, yeah. I believe. There yeah. were influential users on internet platforms who everyone listened to And like would upvote when they made a comment or there were really influential blogs that everyone read even though everyone else also had a blog
1: totally i I don't want to like overpaint it like i don't want to overfit it it's not like it's there are protocol there are things that twitter has a bunch of super culty characteristics to it Mm -hmm. (laughs) obviously you know yeah TikTok and Instagram do, like, there's an evolution. My point is only that I think you've seen, if you had to categorize, so I'm more like talk talk about like social as like a single category, and it's not. I think you think about like community versus cult platforms, and I do think there's been broadly a shift away from communities and towards cult. Like, communities now, it's like you get on like a Discord group or like a Slack group or like some thread and messaging, and it's just I find them like incomprehensible
0: because they're just like too much noise.
1: They're too noisy. And so it's like natural gravitation. I need a preacher. I need like someone we all agree to follow. We value that. that it's
0: sense. like a focal point allows people to get in the funnel a lot more easily. There's, you can get a handle on, oh, this person's speaking. And I find what they're saying to be interesting. And so I can connect to other people through that rather than connecting to a bunch of other people directly where there's no clear focal point. And so you just, it's like coughing. As long as we all, as as we all agree to follow the same person. Take what's going on with Wall Street bets, but then dogecoin and
1: evil on it. I was joking the other day, it's like, you... Elon now can just be like, say something cryptic, and whoever sees it first makes a bunch of money. So you have all these disciples running around. And just because of the dynamic, because everyone's decided to follow Elon, like given this set, and like they all have their Robin Hood accounts open. It's like if you happen to catch his tweet first, you can make some money, right? Really quickly. And so I think like this is interesting dynamics about how cult readers can reward their disciples and how like disciples can like demonstrate fealty effectively, and like this follower-followee relationship, which I think again it's not that it didn't exist before. It's not that it didn't happen. It's just gotten like so intense and instant. And I think that's just the direction we're heading in right now. Yeah,
2: that that's really right. interesting. What do you think the implications are for social platforms and the technology businesses that are right. enabling these cults? Because it maybe suggests that. The leverage is shifting to the cult leaders rather than to the platforms and maybe the network effects aren't as strong anymore.
1: So it's a great question. It's actually (laughs) what I've been spending a huge amount of personal time on right now is like thinking through exactly this. And and I'm very interested in influencer-driven businesses right now and like the influencer ecosystem. I'm starting to like, think about funding influencers directly, actually, even beyond their businesses being in the business like influencers and influencer businesses are a little bit different. You're like, actually the first company I ever tried to start in my entire life when I was in high school, like literally sitting on the payphone in like the cafeteria was like investing directly in people. And it's a thread I followed my whole career. I've done a lot of ISA investing, things like this, but yeah, I think you're totally right. There's gonna be more and more power concentrated on people and on cult leaders versus on platforms. I also think like candidly from a platform design perspective, if you're trying to build a really successful platform, make it something that cult leaders can use. That's almost the, your most important constituent. They'll bring the masses, right? Yeah. If you can right. It. That I think is, again, this isn't a criticism of Clubhouse. I think Clubhouse is great, but I think that's what Clubhouse is really nailing right now. But For legacy platforms that are community-driven, look, I think there are interesting questions to ask about. If you're Facebook's group's team, what do you do? Like, yeah. it's not that there aren't Facebook groups that are vibrant. There are some that are interesting, that are buy- There are buying, there's things where like scale matters, you're trying to buy and sell shit or whatever. But if the energy is going away from like the passive moderator who curates a group of people of similar interest and into just cult platforms, there are product design decisions that matter about how you design things to be engaging. And then there's a question of you can lean into cults, or you can think really hard about how to evolve communities to be like a counterweight or make them more viable. If you think about even human history, it's obviously oversimplifying. Humans started in small communities, probably had local, everyone kind of knew each other whatever. New technology evolves, writing, like, you know, the wheel, whatever, we can get into what mattered. And all of a sudden you have cults, right? Like religious cults, monarchies, like authoritarian governments. In the last few hundred years, figured out democracy, which kind of pushes back on some cults, maybe not all, but figured out like in the physical world, like some meta structure that's more inclusive and has more power. Like a good democracy is going to have more power than like a cult. The question is in digital space, what is the equivalent of that? Like, How do you create leverage in large aligned populations around values or rules to push back against cults?
0: The thing that's so fascinating about that analogy of like governance to like online communities or cults is in the physical world, it's extremely difficult to exit. Like all your family and friends are there. You'd have to like travel. You'd probably die on your own in the wilderness or whatever. Whereas online there's... like a huge amount of choices. So it's almost like the libertarian dream of select your government easily on a menu from all the options and sample one, And if you don't like it, you can leave and go to another one. And instead of providing basic foundational stuff like the government, it's just providing whatever tickles your interest and in a lot lower stakes too, in some ways, but you do build relationships and identity and worldviews through there and you participate in collective action in these groups. So yeah. there are real implications.
1: I think that I think it's actually more serious than that, honestly, Uh for what it's worth, which is I agree with you that that is the the difference like you can, there's no friction online, you just go to another. But here's the problem. I think if you look on a hundred year scale, I think one of the (coughs) biggest problems we're going to have is figuring out how to keep people engaged in reality, like fantasy, especially if you can pick your own fantasy, especially with VR and where we're going, is gonna be so much more appealing than like reality for most people. And the problem is that like, if most people just opt out of reality and into these like fantasy world, look, as long as they can like trade random shit and like do GameStop things, it's like there's all sorts of collective action that's powerful, but I think it's a pretty big like deep human problem, right? If we just all fracture and go in our own directions long-term, and there's a great, I think it's is it Robert Frost. There's a great poem. Um, maybe you guys remember it's like it's very famous about will the world end in fire or ice? We're gonna end up like all coming to a point and just getting. So, I mean, it's you can think about it as physics, like we're gonna get the big crunch or like whatever the opposite of the big crunch is, where everything heat death of the death. universe, yeah, the heat death or cool death of the universe. And, like this yeah. poem is about that, but I think you can also think about it on social terms which is like the hot death of the world is we shrink everything to a pinpoint, right? The whole world, 7 billion people end up all arguing online in this tiny space and they all hate each other. because like, it turns out you just have too much pressure and too little space. Yeah. What do you have the death? Where everyone opts in their own VR future, where they're the hero of the story or like they're in their own weird little cult. And if they don't like it, they pick a different cult and they have no real connection to the rest of the community. Both of these are bad. And so the question is like, in digital space, what do we do? Like, how do we create spaces? that are going to stand, right, that actually hold together humanity in like a productive way, if that makes sense.
2: Yeah, this is reminiscent of the topic of your your column a few months ago called, I think, the societal problem of a thousand true fans, talking yes. about the implications of the a thousand true fan model, or I've sometimes talked about the hundred true fan model, which takes it a step further, where it's an even more small micro community of true fans that creators can have. Nathan and I have also had this discussion in terms of, is the subscription content model, is it good for society if everyone is just subscribing to the things that they're willing to pay for and probably corroborate their views and no one else can consume that content? I think the counter argument to this being a societal problem is I think people are able to be in lots of different sizes of communities. They can find their niche online, they can be part of a hundred true fans of someone. But I think there's also the possibility of that going hand in hand with being part of a much larger like national or city wide community of being fans of a sports team or something like that. And it's not mutually exclusive to be part of a small tribe and a large tribe all at the same time. And I think overall the proliferation of niche communities online I think of it as a good thing because I I would argue that it just used to be the case that we were much lonelier before, not that we yeah. were more unified. Look,
1: I just, I think basically the extremes of all these things are challenging for humanity. Like we're used to having natural frictions in the physical world that like causes us to be pretty moderate overall. And the internet just allows extremes in every direction. It's bad. I'm like, look, right. I'm old enough. I think Maybe you guys or some of you guys in the audience are or not. And no one wants to go back to mall culture where like everyone stops at the Gap and you have like six choices and like eats whatever, like Wetzel's pretzels. And like the internet's awesome. Like you can do the niches, the thing you can kind of express yourself and like people can find their communities and like they can be super small and nichey interests It's amazing. It's amazing that people can follow their passions that deeply. But I think push to the ultimate extreme. You let rattle all the way down on that. It's just very dangerous and challenging for nations. It's very dangerous and challenging for us agreeing on anything. It, it empowers cult leaders to a ridiculous level, which can be fine if those cult leaders are benevolent or like they're aligned with everyone else and really challenging if. So I think yeah. these are not easy problems. And I also think you can't just throw up your hands and say we should ban stuff or have a that I think the, the real thing for me is like, you you can have opinions but you also have to acknowledge that like technology is technology and it's going to march in a certain direction based on like pretty fundamental information physics and so the question then is like all right like how do you design better systems that accomplish help us get along right and help us like right. find community on healthy scale and things like that
0: one thing that's, interesting, that's about interesting about what you were saying with whether these cults are basically push society apart where everyone it's all isolated into a bunch of different silos. Like I've got the people that I listen to on Clubhouse, the substacks that I read, whatever group chats or discords that I'm in, and that's it. And there's no more global shared space. Is there does seem to be an acceleration of people basically cults just going to war with each other because it's exciting and fun and it attracts new adherents and totally. the the it, there is like this force pulling people back together but it seems to be almost like a purely negative force it's coming together on the battlefield rather than coming together like at a table or whatever and a great example of it is take the new york times tweet about clubhouse that was like unfettered conversations are happening on clubhouse if you look at the original usage in the article it's not great i don't love the original quote But it has a different sense. Like the meaning of it feels substantially different to me than the way it came out in the tweet. And people, of course, will react to the tweet in a sort of appropriate way, but then they'll ascribe a lot of blame to the writers. And then the writers will feel triggered and then they'll say something. And it's like this cascading, like mutual triggering cycle, basically, where no one is their best self when they're being defensive, usually. And so I think the cults have this tendency to go to war. And I'm curious how you think we could solve for that, maybe with some better design.
1: Well, yeah, cult for sure. War sells. That's how you get more adherence. That's how you like let your here it's exposing me mean, the GameStop thing is a great example of this yep. right war is exciting it's interesting it's good it's not a physical war it, like helps with a physical war and, like i think general information and content war is better yeah i just think people have to it's interesting i'll tell you my potential way out of it this is the best answer i have which i love so apparently and again someone who's a history buff can correct me on the details here but there was this era in british history where they invented gin and Basically, the entire society was just drunk for like 100 years and like GDP dropped, and it was like a complete disaster. And wow. before it, I don't know, something it was like less potent again. Someone who knows the actual history, I mean, it was basically the upshot is like, you get more potent alcohol, people just are like addicted to it, and they get super yeah. drunk, and like it's a, it's a total societal disaster. Like, birth rates dropped, like, everyone's <laughs> it can just imagine a drunk society for a century. Like, the Brits still drink too much. But they basically grew out of it. And I think that like the only way that I am sure that we can grow out of this is like we have been totally shocked as a system by the internet. Like we're all first generation internet citizens in a lot of ways. There'll be a few more generations. People are going to be super drunk on it. They're going to love their cults, right? At a certain point, you're like, chill out. And I think that actually could happen to some degree, where it's luck. It's I don't even know the New York Times quote tweet you're referring to, but here's the deal are there unfettered conversations that are ephemeral and probably pretty dangerous and bad if coming together on Clubhouse? Yeah, of course. Like, duh. Like, right. if you open up, like, an audio chat room that's not moderated and let people pull adherence into it because they're only talking to their audience and their cult because the way the push notifications or whatever works, like, the more private those guys, yeah, they're going to be crazy. It's like, everyone, like, yells at Facebook newsfeed as being, like, this place where bad stuff happens. Here's the thing. That's only because you can see it. If you could see the stuff that was going private chat messages, you'd be way more scared. And so like, yes, of course, the technology does that. It also does a bunch of good stuff. Like you have to just under, I think people need to have a more moderate understanding of this stuff, which is yes. Like the answer to all this stuff is yes. And let's not be overly crazy about it. So the
2: path out of this is basically just people will grow tired of it.
1: Yeah, like you just get bored of being drunk or you just get like bored of like, outrage is my hope yeah. right now outrage is really fun it sells it creates value I mean, it creates at some point people just like look you've literally gone as far as you can with the extremist thing it's i'm blind to it everything is so extreme it's whatever let's move on and be like moderate humans and adults about
0: this (laughs) right totally there are definitely cycles of these things it's almost like movies or music or whatever like in order to have something that feels fresh and exciting it has to feel a little bit different and so if there's decades where nobody really makes like a musical and then la la land comes out it's it can be a sort of mediocre musical but the fact that it's a musical and like modern is like enough to make it stand out and people go crazy over it or whatever i
1: think there's also like another good example of this i always think that like porn is like really interesting because it like is usually ahead of everything else in terms of where like, if you look at what's happened like porn and only fans mm-hmm. and, like the direction of this stuff a few trends are interesting one is it just keeps getting more weird and extreme right and you're like right. why like part of it's all these niche communities that have like niche fetishes or whatever part of it is just you get bored of normal porn and so it has to keep getting more extreme and weird in some right.
0: direction the hedonic right? treadmill yeah and but at a certain point
1: you're just like this is just it all just becomes a noise like you're completely desensitized to it it's like right now it's like with only most interesting thing is like connectivity and like relationships with like it's, it's all about the chat right like it's supposed to be like oh my god these are like real people this is so avant-garde and cool these like weird niche communities but like, i think at a certain point people gonna be like oh wait a minute these chats are all being written by like people in India and like farms. And it's not that interesting. You just get bored of it. And so I think, I don't know, that's, again, it goes back to this whole, I think the route out is not the technology changing. It's like us growing up (laughs) to some degree.
2: Really interesting. I also want to go deeper on something that you had mentioned earlier, which is about financing for creators and investing in creators and people. Mm -hmm. I'd love to hear your thoughts on what the right financing model is for these creators. I'll tell you. And if
1: there's businesses, Yeah. So I have strong opinions about this and I'm actually very actively working on this. So like, for instance, if anyone is a creator and wants to talk to me about this or is interested, please reach out. This is like a very active project for me. But to me, here's what's going to happen right now we're in this phase where all these creators are like creating businesses. And so they can't really finance the creator. You finance like the business, the creator started. And that's because we know how to do that and think about that. We all know that like creator backed things get like tons of redistribution and whatever else. And so that's, I don't think that's right. I think the future is actually just me directly investing in the future earnings of creators, which is like an ISA model, except for here's the big difference ISAs are usually like effectively like modified debt instruments. You like pay back for a certain period. If you don't make enough money, you don't pay. Fine. I think the way it goes is much more look, I buy a percentage. 1%, 3% of all of a creator's projects, of all of their future earnings for 30 or 40 years, like their entire lifespan. And then I also get effectively the IP of the brands they create on an ongoing basis. That then aligns me completely with the creator. I'm like, here's some capital. Do what you need. Like, you wanna use it to grow your audience. You wanna use it to hire the best people, all the stuff you can't do right now. You should, right? Like you should invest in your brand and building you. And then how you monetize. It's really hard to know over the next 30 years you might build a product you might build a company you might have a subscription service you might do ads like it's going to keep evolving i actually think it's a great thing for investors because you're like look there's so much money in the world i don't and it's so uncertain i definitely want to invest in like people and their trust communities the directly and that's really great and i think for the creator it's rather than it being like look i can't really get access to the money i need to grow right now so i have to grow off cash flow which then creates a bunch of problems well, I'm going to start a bunch of businesses which aren't fully authentic to me. It's more you know, like your brand, your trust, like your network, your cult is the business. And like, let's just do this directly. So I see a bright future where you basically have a whole capital stack around people, much like you do on companies right now. Like I want to do seed investing. Like I, I would love to spend $20 million in the next year directly on investing in creators and have actually actively working on this. And you're going to have for bigger creators formats where they can, it's kind of like a late stage company in a lot of ways. They might get huge valuations from the private markets for what they're doing. They might use capital to invest in the next generation and say, okay, I'm a huge fitness influencer. I'm going to seed the next five fitness influencers and help them grow. And then I expect there'll be a public market as well. I expect there to be many multi-billion dollar influencer brands that are publicly listed that their fans can buy into. You can talk about how that ends up working. But yeah, I'm very, I've always been bullish on this space broadly, but I'm like very actively working on this right now because I
0: think it's the future and I think it's time for it. It's fascinating to me because it feels like I could imagine a scenario where the competitive frontier for a lot of types of new products is like you have to launch through an influencer in order for it to break out. Because like, for instance, there's just so many influencers that are trying to launch so many things that on average, if they can have something with a good enough value proposition that stands on its own, then it's just better. If it's going to take off faster, if it launches through someone with a community, than you know, coming from out of nowhere. So there are some models like whatever Clubhouse or Instagram or whatever, where it's like, There are definitely some early influential users and there's a lot of intentionality in that early community, but it wasn't like Dispo where it's like David Dobrik's app who like he built a team and all this stuff. And with Dispo, if it's going to work in the long run, it's going to have to be because Dispo had some functionality that is just generally useful. But maybe in the future, there's four Dispos and they all have some similar mechanic and they work really well, but just the one that happened to be launched through the influencer wins because it gets to community the fastest and gets the flow going the fastest and there's some path dependency there.
1: Cheap acquisition in this day and age because like a trusted person that's authentic is like doing it is like a huge advantage like it's a huge and like i think thing i of that's huge the other thing in mind is look it used to be that like business platforms were pretty scarce so the dynamic used to be like okay you're like nike you can make sweet shoes you might pay michael jordan a lot of money but the reality is you don't have to have that much money I mean, you pay him a lot, to be clear. But there are other people that you could decide to promote the shit out of, right? There are other people you could build up the brand and the identity around. There's like the market; it's like more of a competitive market in talent than it is a competitive market in like making awesome shoes. This is inverted now, right? Like most company services, like are pretty commoditized on a relative basis, and so sorry because they're pretty commoditized in a relative basis in some ways it's your lebron or i'm not good at basketball over the next lebron is and you're like look i'm either gonna go to nike or adidas or whatever i don't really fucking care like i'm the scarce commodity i have the direct relationship with my fans So someday like the the lebron 6.0 bot is gonna like be able to like really directly have a relationship with everyone and last forever because you're never gonna age so like you have all these factors that make the talent and the relationship and the brand the valuable thing and like the ability to make pretty good shoes, like secondary if that makes sense and i think that's to do like, as much with like business platforms commoditizing as it does with like celebrity and creators just like getting really deep relationships with their communities
2: yeah i yeah. remember when you describe this kind of model of investing in creators it reminds me of I recall that there were a few startups maybe a few years ago that were trying to do this by investing into like young, ambitious people at the start of their careers. Maybe they were saddled with student debt and just couldn't really do the most ambitious thing that they wanted to do. But my recollection is that those models never really took off. And there was maybe some adverse selection of the folks who yeah. felt like they were onto great things, didn't really want to give up a portion of their future income.
1: So yeah, look, I'm curious I mean, I what you think that's changes. For sure, that's for sure true. This has been, there's been a bunch of experiences. Experimented this for twenty or thirty years. Like again, like literally in like nineteen ninety nine. Like, you can go look it up on Google Patent Search. You can find my like high school patents on funding marketplaces for people. And like, the historical example like Bowie Bonds and like Yale University mm-hmm. ran like the nineties an experiment where they said rather than paying us in cash, they will take a percentage of your income for a while to pay back. Yeah. Here's the thing. I think no one's been bold enough with this, honestly. They've always been like, okay, it's basically like a form of a loan or there's some caps to it. And it's not like a real venture. No one's actually done the real venture capital model of it is my mm. view. And I think that's like one of the big failings so far. The adverse selection problem is interesting and challenging. I will say that like ISAs, for instance, income sharing agreements, it's not a great time to be doing ISAs because there's 0% interest rates. There's too much Like, there is a problem, right? Like when effectively the competitive products are basically free, it still works, and there's still a place for them in my mind with private institutions, and especially like when there's like coding schools, which is where they got big because everyone's like, I don't know if this program's good, I'm not really willing to pay a shitload of money for this, but I guess like we can share risk, so there's there's still a future there. But there's been a bunch of historical challenges, but yeah, I still think it's the right model long term. I still think in the long term, even you take young people, that the model might not be you go get. A hundred thousand dollars, or like you get it, it might be instead. Of, which I've seen people working on, people trying is like, all right, like your ten kids friends graduating together. There's randomness in life. You're not yeah. exactly sure which one of you will succeed. So you like pool income in a way, right? Like formally, we're like, cool. Let's all throw in five percent of what we make someone's going to do really well. We're not sure which of the startups will work, but that's okay. Cause we're kind of like doing like a hedge insurance product around that. But look, and there's a
0: company doing that. Yeah, there is. And there's
1: a, fe- there's a few for, instance, for what it's worth. It's not like, and again, it's not a novel idea. It's just one of those things that's
0: a little weird. It's new.
1: People don't really, you have to have like a real incentive to want to go do it. A lot of life is not about, it's just about doing shit because yeah. the ideas are there, but like, it's actually really hard work and like challenging to actually do the things. But look, I just picture, here's the deal. Companies used to be huge monoliths. Technology makes things super liquid. It makes firms that can be way smaller, units can be smaller. Like we're seeing this happen where like the unit of business is an individual, whether it's Substack or like OnlyFans or whatever. Like that is the direction we're going in. I'm too old, but apparently like Gen Z looks down on like my generation for even having jobs. Like it's very day class A to like work <laughs> at a company. And so that's the direction we're heading. The question is how does capital follow that? How does infrastructure follow that? Everything else.
0: I'm like, curious, the, the thing cool. you mentioned earlier about why the previous experience hadn't succeed, experiments with funding people hadn't succeeded is so they weren't bold enough. What are some of the concrete differences where it's like some of the terms that you think should have been changed? Oh, well, so, so change? I in my version of the world, if you are investing
1: in a person, you own a percentage of what they do forever. Everyone's always hesitated at this. They're like, oh, that's like really scary. That forever is a big word. I want to do it for five years or something. But the problem is if you do it for five years or 10 years or whatever, if you ever do really well, you just avoid ever paying out on it. Like I was, t- I talk about it as like the, the Jeff Bezos problem. It's let's pretend you had an ISA on Jeff Bezos. You know how much you'd make on that? Zero. Jeff Bezos just borrows money when he needs it. He might be the world's richest man, but it's not like he has a huge amount of income. Like it's really easy to not have income if you don't want to have income. And so my view is, look, if you're able to say, I can capture the Jeff Bezos upside, then I can actually charge everyone else way less. This is the venture capital model. Like, I don't mind that nine out of 10 people don't pan out when I buy it right. and I buy it. Because the 10th pays for everyone else. And I actually think you want your super winners to be able to pay for everyone else and structure it that way. You just have to get people in the mindset of, yeah, look, I already have an ISA with the government. Like, you already have an ISA with the government for 55% of your income. If it's 57, because you're like paying back into this pool of capital that helped you get started. That's fine to me. I just think it's a big mental leap for some people, but it is really important. Is like the boldness
0: component to it. That was the thing when I was at Substack and we were talking about how do we make, one form of helping people get started on Substack is just an advance where it's like, you can make one X basically. And it's a way to activate someone who we're almost certain will succeed. And we're gonna lose money sometimes, but it'll have been worth it as like a marketing expense or whatever, because the winners, the big winners, they're still basically just paying us back one X. The model that I was very interested in is how do we make a lot more than 1x on, this, on the winners and then we concede a much wider variety of writers, some yeah. of whom will unexpectedly do amazing and some of whom... Will be flops unexpectedly, and because we just don't know, there's uncertainty, and so you want to be able to really have your winners drive a lot of success and be able to pay for the not winners. And I, when I was there, we didn't figure out that model. I don't know what they're doing now, but I think that's a really important principle. Yeah, I mean,
1: I, I think that's right. Look, I think Substack, not to so go with TV, but you know, I'm friends and Hamish, and like I think it's a great platform, and I obviously have affinity for the idea from a long time ago. Is like. I think the biggest problem is just that like, I don't really know how you make margin long term, right? When like your biggest people will all just graduate off of you unless you're charging like 0% on everything, in which case like it's hard to make money. Like I think it's hard to be the infrastructure provider for this stuff personally, right? Like I think that's like the ultimate problem. Doesn't mean it's not a great service, doesn't mean it doesn't have a place, doesn't mean it can't be a good business, but to be like a really big business, like that's the question. I think there could be answers like in terms of, but like that, I think that's the problem if that makes sense. Totally. Your
2: question, Nathan, of what would be that model, if not advances, I've always thought that there could be a really interesting business to be built, kind of like a lifestyle business though, because it's not that scalable of identifying and theorizing what are the gaps in the Substack ecosystem? What are the newsletters that don't exist that you think should exist? What are the topics to be covered? And then going out, finding those writers, pulling them out of their day jobs, funding them upfront and like in exchange for some sort of ISA.
0: Interesting. We do that. That's like kind of what every does. Yeah, that is what every does. Sure. I mean, I that, sure. Yeah. And like, I think that is, I think it's generally,
1: I mean, good. Look, I think the problem with a lot of stuff with this long form writing stuff, I say this is someone who writes long form content. And my wife, I would argue, was pretty influential in pushing the narrative of like subscription journalism. When she launched the information, everyone made oh, fun totally. of her. Like, totally. There were articles being like, this is ridiculous. Like People were making yeah. fun of yeah. her in the media industry. And she's like, an enormous business and growing, like doing high quality paid journalism. But I do think that there's a problem, which is the opposite of the Facebook problem is there's just too much long form content now. It's just Im- unprocessable. I don't even subscribe to that many sub stacks, but it's just like too much to read. And so I think, I don't know, there's a long history of bundling and unbundling and how you deal with this problem. But like it, the wheel turns yet again, for sure.
0: My theory on that is that it just, there, you have to compete on quality. Because people definitely do want to read, but they want to go to the place where they can get the highest quality stuff. And so if we can help as as a solo writer, it's really hard to produce four things a week that people actually want to read. Yep. And there's a lot of newsletters that are really popular that publish four things a week. And I'm very curious what percent of their subscriber base actually reads all those things or for how long they actually read all those things. But if you can have a bundle of writers where each writer gets to spend two weeks maybe on something or like a month even, where it's like a little bit more like the New Yorker model, where it's like they have a stable of writers that are aggregated together. I think it can make a lot of sense, but just the New Yorker only writes really about a very specific kind of thing. And I'm interested in different topics, but yeah.
1: Yeah, I broadly agree with you, obviously.
2: (laughs) Should we um, switch to Q and A with the audience?
1: Yeah, let's do oh, it. This is the cult moment. This is the cult oh. moment. You guys use <laughs> <your> power.
2: <laughs> we get to hand select and utilize our power to decide. And remember, because you guys
1: utilize your power, then then basically there's like this weird adherence thing that goes. Go. Like, this is so fun. Enjoy the and, cult.
2: And by the way, everyone should subscribe to our culty newsletter.
0: Every oh, yeah. dot- this is an opportune moment to uh, do a really quick plug before before we have more people speaking. So this is brought to you by Every, the thing we were just talking about. And you should go to every.to and find means of creation, which is this. We do means of creation. Now we're actually going to start doing it twice a week because Clubhouse rewards frequency. And we just honestly love being here. And so we're going to do Tuesdays and Thursdays as opposed to just Fridays. And uh, we have a written version of this that comes out once a week where we really break down a lot of the, uh, the recent news. And Lee and I give our opinions and takes.